The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. To the house, This is unbelievable. Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons reporting live from San Antonio. That's Tom Fernelli in Chicago. I'm Chip Patterson right here in Raleigh. Uh, Gentlemen, it's been an eventful week in college football. I don't know if you are in the... The, the many around the country that are kind of in that uh, I don't know what day it is mode here on January 2nd, I kind of felt like I knew what day it was. It was January 2nd. We just had a whole bunch of bowl games on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. We'll get into some of the, the fallout and the headlines coming from that, including uh, the coaching carousel continues to spend. So, uh, so how are we feeling right now? Happy New Year. First Cover 3 podcast of 2020. Whoa, historic. Well, I, I did do the... I don't know if this is relatable only to those people that have, uh, you know, uh, jobs within maybe the IT field, but I, I did try to name this file uh, 010219, and my computer was like, bro, that already exists. You already lived that. You recorded that Cover 3 podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so we're on to 120. Uh, a new beginning, a new beginning for the pod. All the all the mistakes we've made in the past, wash them away. 2020s here, new decade. Love it. Good energy. Yeah, I right have there. no idea what day of the week it is. You you mentioned that. I know the date, but I have to stop a few times every day and think, okay, what day? And then do the math in my head. Okay, it's Thursday. All right, got it. But- I'm I'm in a game week. I'm I'm fully aware of what day of week it is as as impending. As Saturday approaches at the All American Bowl in San Antonio, yeah, we uh, that is coming up on Saturday, and you can uh, you can see it on NBC. Barton will be a part of the broadcast, and we will uh, and we will be taking a look at some of the storylines that are going to be going into that game. But first, uh, I'll, let's let's start in the present because there's uh, as we were sitting here recording on Thursday late afternoon, early evening. The, one of the biggest headlines of the day within college football was Ole Miss announcing a few staff update, a few uh, members of the staff for Lane Kiffin and the Rebels, but one of them is DJ Durkin as an assistant. Now, DJ Durkin was fired by Maryland. Well, first he was suspended, then reinstated, then ultimately fired in the wake of school and independent investigations into the death of Jordan McNair. Jordan McNair was hospitalized after suffering a heat stroke in May of 2018. He died in June 2018, and the firing of DJ Durkin was ultimately in October. Now, uh, you know, just to go ahead and set things, you know, lay them out there as, as we get our fact cards, uh, there was a independent investigation that did not find specifically DJ Durkin at fault. However, a school's independent investigation did indicate some issues within the culture and some systematic issues within DJ Durkin's program. Further reporting by outlets such as ESPN.com or The Athletic take things in a way that looks much worse for Durkin as well. And uh, and those those reading materials, you can find them referenced in the appendix. So, uh, 
as DJ Durkin's hire at Ole Miss starts to, you know, resonate across college football, does do, does this be become something that we talk about in the moment and then forget, or is this uh, is is this a hire that you know? I don't know if it drew outrage or maybe it did. You know, is it is it going to get treated fairly uh, by the college football community? Well, I don't. I mean. I wouldn't even dance around it. Like, I'm just curious if you guys think this is a defensible hire. Like, nope. are you, you, you don't? Okay. No. I'm, I'm interested in that. So, so break it down. Why make this hire? What bonus is there for you to do it? Considering why Durkin was fired at Maryland. Like, Chip, you asked, is this the thing that we, you know, just care about now and then forget about? Yeah, clearly it's something we're going to care about now and forget about because, Literally, we've already forgotten about, or a lot of people have already forgotten about what happened with DJ Durkin at Maryland, that now he's getting a defensive coordinator job at Ole Miss. And let's face it, this isn't the first time Lane Kiffin has even done this. Who did he hire as his OC at FAU? Kendall Browse. Yeah, so let's not act like Kiffin, I mean, there's, I don't know how to put this, but there, there's a, there's a theme here. And knowing Kiffin's personality, or at least what we hear of Kiffin's personality from other places, do I doubt for a moment that part of this was because of everything that happened? I can't say 100% no, because this is just kind of what Lane Kiffin likes to do, man. He sees himself as somewhat of a rebel, and he's doing rebellious things. Even when he was at Alabama as the offensive coordinator in the Nick Saban finishing school, he was still being, you know, the class clown rebel dude on Twitter. He still does it. He still makes jokes about Saban. Now, you know, at FAU, he was there and he had success. He won games. He won a lot of games, won two conference titles in three years. But, of course, the minute he leaves, all of a sudden half the team is academically ineligible. And now he's at Ole Miss and he's having the same kind of fun he was there. And he's hiring a a coach who was maybe not directly responsible but was fired because the organization he ran at Maryland didn't really care enough to keep a kid from dying on the field at a practice. And you look at all the stuff that went on behind the scenes. I don't care about the freaking investigations clearing it because it's a lot like, you know, it's you don't have subpoena power. You're not the police. You can't bring in people. You can't find evidence to prove anything happened. But like you said, the one report found significant dysfunction in the management of the athletics department. ESPN found a toxic culture. There's all the stuff, you know, about making the players watch videos of like drills needles going into people's eyes while they're trying to eat lunch it's like a clockwork orange crap for some reason to toughen up your football team it makes absolutely no sense and i don't see why there aren't a bunch of other defensive coordinators you can find who would be happy to come take old miss's money at a major sec program and the fact that you end up with dj durkin after you ended up with kendall browse at fau tells me you're doing this on purpose and wow i can't believe lane kiffin did something to get a response I, yeah. I, I, I think that if I was a head coach, I would not make this hire. If I was the athletic director or university president, I would not approve this hire. All that said, I, I don't. I guess it's defensible to answer your question, Barton. I'm, I'm kind of in a, a place that, based on what we've seen from disgraced head coaches and the way they're able to bounce back, what we saw. Remember when Will Muschamp bowed up for DJ Durkin? was like really really aggressive with his defense of dj yeah. durkin i mean i i think he's a card carrying member of the club you know just the the, the boys club or, or whatever kind of sort of inside circle of approved names that uh that we see in communities like this and so i i, I guess the answer is i think it's defensible i wouldn't do it I, I think the only way that you can defend it though is if you're able to say that DJ Durkin is a value add for this coaching staff. And I think that that means you've got to believe enough in him as a developer and as a, as somebody who can come into that room to overcome what is absolutely going to be some kind of issues, whether they are spoken or whether they are just hanging in the air. But when DJ Durkin's walking into a living room, it is going to be much harder for him than it was uh, before the death of Jordan McNair. So I, you know, are you going to be able to tell me, Lane Kiffin, that you feel confident DJ Durkin's going to go out and crush it for you on the recruiting trail? I don't, I don't, I don't know. But that's the only kind of defense that I. That's the only kind of defense that I see is if. Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin can say, uh, we, you know, we believe that 
for this, 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 and this reason, DJ Durkin's going to be able to help us win football games because from, again, this, like, unfortunately cynical place, like, hey, guys, this is college football. I don't know why you came over here for morality. I don't know why you came over here for anything other than seeing people just trying to win football games. So this is not a rhetorical question, but what, where, like, what would be, and maybe this is more towards you, Tom, but like, where should DJ Durkin ever be hired again? Like what level, what job is, is appropriate? Or are you saying it's just because it's Kiffin hiring him? Like what? Because Do you I, I want think, your kids playing for DJ Durkin. Well, I, here's what I think. And again, I'm 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 actually like I'm not even saying it as just to make a point. I'm saying because I'm curious what what where you draw the line. Um, not but, coaching or being responsible for kids. So just out of coaching. Yes. Okay. See, I think it's a fair. I think it is a. It is. I think DJ Durkin has forfeited his opportunity to ever be a head football coach again. Yes. And and, and I think that while DJ Durkin wasn't the one that was on the field during the workouts and responsible for Jordan McNair's death in, in a direct way. Uh, I do think that some of the reports about sort of the culture in that program are troubling and, and perhaps the, the culture that he fostered lended and contributed to the mentality of the training staff that did allow that, that, that didn't handle his, his medical issue appropriately uh, in, in the, the the workouts that led to his his death and so i think all of that creates a situation where it is very i i i think that dj durkin does not deserve to ever be a head coach again all that said i i'm 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 not ready to say he doesn't deserve to be a coach again and i'm not ready to say that because and and i could be you know i could in a couple of weeks, maybe I change my mind on this. Maybe, maybe you convince me otherwise right now. But I, I still think I think the thing that's most alarming about this, I guess, uh, maybe alarming is even strong. But the thing that catches my eye about this, it raises my eyebrows, is just that it's Kiffin doing it, and that is Kiffin saying, sticking up the middle finger and saying, "Hey, you guys aren't going to how Kendall Browse, I'll take him. You guys aren't going to how T.J. Durkin, I'll take him." And and this sort of this concept that Kiffin has learned and is going to push forward and be some a little bit improved version of himself that had created some uh, chaotic situations maybe in the past uh, is he's not like it's still the same Lane Kiffin. So, you know, that raises my eyebrows a little bit, but I, but I'm also not ready to, to, to say DJ Durkin isn't hireable as a, as an assistant coach because ultimately he he's you know his his i i wasn't in that building and and would would i would i let my kid play for him i wouldn't i I would i would i tend to think i would let him in the living room and hear him out i that's fine that's fair enough i can respect that but if there's even a 10 percent chance is that a risk you're willing to take? Of what? Like I'm, I'm of letting uh, your kid play for him, no it, matter what he says in your living room. If there's a ten percent chance of what, though, that he's going to do this, going to show the same kind of uh, attention and level of care to your kid that he did to Jordan McNair. I, but I think that that's again, he wasn't. I, I don't no, know. But like, it's his program. He was responsible. He was the one who read the damn. So, but it won't be his program at Ole Miss. He's not. He's not responsible for. Now look, yes, like I have there are there are coordinators and human beings in the coaching profession that I that I know based on the way that they just their their, their mentality and their and what they prioritize and and be, maybe because I know them better than than I might know DJ Durkin but but certainly based on the way they carry themselves and their actions with in running a defense, running a position group, running a program that yes, I can feel confident that w- would provide me more confidence than than DJ Durkin would, um, and and I but but ultimately like I, I I wasn't in that building, and and there's there there are coaches there are players that that loved playing for him too, and so it's 
I, I'm just at a place where I, I'm I'm not there of of just totally branding him with the red A and saying, look, like I said, I'm I'm ready to do that as a head coach. But this is Lane Kiffin's program, and he sets the tone. And DJ Durkin is, I mean, that's a, that's a statement maybe of what the tone's going to be, in a way. But I'm I'm still willing to to give this, uh, you know a wait-and-see approach. I would just say another way to think of it then is if DJ Durkin was such an amazing coach and he had accomplished so much, I could maybe see it. You know, because as a society, just as human beings, hell, not a society, we are all willing to overlook certain things if it helps us get the job done. But what has DJ Durkin done that is so impressive that you're saying, you know what? I don't care about all that stuff. I need to have this guy. Uh, and if you're old Miss, what has DJ Durkin done for you to approve it and to do it? Like they released a statement that said, we received consistently strong feedback about his character and work ethic and blah, blah, blah. Well, they only interviewed coaches. Did they? Add, I bet you they didn't talk to Jordan McNair's family and ask him what they thought about Durkin's character. I bet they didn't ask all the players on the team that, you know, you saw the quotes and all those stories from that ESPN did and The Athletic did of what a lot of them had to say about the culture in the program surrounding DJ Durkin. I bet they didn't ask them. I just bet they asked the people who told them what they would want to hear. And Ole Miss has defensive to, coordinator. Well, and Ole Miss has to live with it because yeah. Yeah, the – um. They they are the ones that are going to have to own this, and if this the 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 unfortunate, um, more cynical approach to it is, I think Ole Miss made a calculated gamble that they're going to get a little bit of blowback uh, with the announcement, but that everyone else is going to move we'll on, and mm-hmm. uh, and he's going to go through coaching, and if he spends a couple years, you know, without any other negative headlines, then all of a sudden it starts starts going away, starts floating away into the ether. And I, to, for, for Ole Miss uh, of all places with uh, what it's undergone from a scandal perspective, it is a very, very uh, mm, bold move, but man, I just, I, I, again, I would not make the hire if I was a head coach. I would not approve the hire if I was an athletic director, but it is clear because he was at Florida. He was the first defensive coordinator for Jim Harbaugh at Michigan. He has, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Barton. He's kind of worked his way up, play, like coaching on the right staffs at the right places. Pretty young, at least for this point in his career. He's I just only 41. Yeah, I, I, I kind of think that the the opportunities that he's getting now are are probably more a result of everything that had happened before he got to Maryland than necessarily his head coaching record at Maryland. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely. I mean, I think the the hire is is making the assumption that he was a good defensive coordinator at Florida and Michigan, uh, and hey, he was good enough to get a Maryland job out of it. Um, and it's not you know it's not like it was some obvious just. But I don't. I, I mean, it stinks. Like you, you mentioned that this is a Lane Kiffin trying to find market inefficiencies. I hadn't thought about that angle. That he thinks he's playing smartest guy in the room, getting all the scandal boys together, and that's that's an uneasy feeling. Yeah, I just. I mean, they fired Hugh Freeze for you know having sex with escorts, and then they're cool hiring a defensive coordinator who was indirectly responsible for the death of a player. It is definitely um, Ole, Ole Miss very much leaning into and and, and owning this, like... Being a know, renegade program. Yeah, renegade That's what they program. want to be. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And, uh, the, the, and, you know, their other hire they made, they pulled Chris Partridge from, from Michigan. I think that's a pretty good hire. Um, he's another relatively young coach that is a really good recruiter and... He's going to be the co-coordinator with, uh, with Durkin, and you know that's going to be. I think that's. I think that's. That that is. I don't know. Uh, uh, another indicator that recruiting is going to be a high priority, and that Lane Kiffin is is, is being pretty strategic and, 
I don't know. Like, like that's not an in-region guy. I mean, he's just heading up to Michigan and hiring a guy that's highly regarded that recruit has recruited New Jersey at a really high level, recruited Georgia for Michigan at a really high level. Uh, is sort of an up-and-comer. Um, it's a savvy hire in that regard. So I think that he's trying to build out a staff that is um, that's pretty strong and pretty national. Uh, whether whether you count DJ Durkin amongst that or whether that's a uh, you know a, a a downside or a, a negative, then it's up to you. But he's 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 being very aggressive, I guess, in the staff. Barton Simmons says DJ Durkin was a savvy hire by Ole Miss. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Put it. In. That's a joke, thank, people. Thank you, for, thank you for like preempting yeah. that headline, Chip. Yeah. Put it on the uh, the the card for social so that everybody can retweet it. Um, yeah. Okay. Let's uh, let's go back to New Year's Day because I think there's a bunch of fun threads to pull at from the uh, it's it's Verbo apparently. What I thought it was VRBO. I thought it was yeah, VRBO too. And there's this whole rebrand. They're trying to get us to call it Verbo. They bought up Verbo. the naming rights to the Citrus Bowl, and I'm going to stick with VRBO. VRBO has a better ring to it, I think. And me too. Hey, listen, we covered three podcasts. We can also deal with Verbo's- brand management. Verbo sounds like the name of a clown you hire for your kid's birthday party. It's Verbo the clown. And, and Verbo asks for the deposit up front and might leave like 45 minutes early when you, if you it don't keep an eye on him. smells like weed. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So let's, in the Citrus Bowl, Alabama wins somewhat handily against uh, Michigan. They jump out to uh, an early score. Michigan jumps ahead, and then the offense really isn't able to do much after halftime. Kind of shells up within itself. So I guess uh, points Saban for halftime adjustments against Josh Gaddis. Tough, tough performance for Shea Patterson. But I, I'm probably more interested in some of the stuff that's going on around this game. I think we got to start with Alabama, where and and we can take uh, we can take sort of a tally of this. We've got. Let's see. Leatherwood's coming back that we know. Alex Leatherwood, former five-star Alex prospect. Has, yeah, he has announced he's coming back. Dil- and then he was a potential first-round draft pick, which is – you don't see that very often. Dylan Moses uh, announced on the day of the game that he would be coming back, though that's a little bit up in the air because of um, apparently he – he wants to take some more time or a family member wants to take some more time and, uh, and have an announcement later. And as we sit here recording, Excuse me, Chip, Chip, you referred to him as Dylan Moses. His name is, he's to be referred to as his majesty, his majesty, Dylan Moses. Thank you. When you, that is (laughs) the, the press release was from his father who is a lawyer and has his own law practice. And, I don't know. Maybe you guys was that for real uh, or was that like a gag? <laughs> I, I didn't understand it. I didn't understand it. There's all this like like royal references, and I didn't know if it was like legalese from back in the like old English revolutionary <laughs> era that like have 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 been grandfathered into some stuff, or or whether this was like. I didn't understand what was going on, but yeah, dad only recognizes the king's law. <laughs> yeah, he's gonna use some old statute or tort to be able to uh, negotiate <laughs> Dylan Moses' way. He, he's a loyalist to the core. He's still, he's still not. <laughs> he's not ready to declare independence yet. <laughs> uh, so Dylan, Dylan Moses at least says uh, he's coming back. We'll see about that. And uh, and Tua Tugavailoa. Has took to Twitter after the game to say that he will be making his announcement on January sixth. That is a Monday. Uh, I don't know if he's going to have vitamin waters in the background or if he's going to have a whole ESPN special about this. But the smoke coming from around the Alabama program suggests that Tua might add his name to this list of players that are not going to go to the NFL draft and instead come back for 2020 do do y'all first of all do y'all believe the smoke there's a lot of it so kind of hard to not believe that there's some truth to it yeah i mean smoke smoke typically means something but i still like i can't believe like that i can't believe he would come back that strikes me as just like a really bad idea 
Mm-hmm. I, I, I have a hard time seeing him get past number five in, in the draft. I, I mean, not, granted, it's all – I mean, yes, I could see it if the medical comes back and it's it's really bad. But if he has a, a decent medical, man, the Dolphins aren't going to pass on him. Are they? They got right. Isn't Fitzpatrick back next year? Uh, I don't know. I, I think, think he's a free agent, but I'm not sure. Well, they got Josh Rosen if he's not, right? Or is Josh Rosen in the last year? Yeah, and well, Josh Rosen might be able to help him lose enough games to get to 2021. No. That's true. But I've been saying, like, there, there's, there's a setup in place where, you know, maybe he wouldn't have to play right away anyways. And, and you just, I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they it, think they get Trevor the next year. I don't know. I mean, it doesn't make a ton of a sense to me. I mean, unless he's clearly he's clearly the number two quarterback. I yeah, think and yeah. if, unless he's just really bad health, and then next year he's got to deal with Trevor. Maybe he has to deal with Justin Fields. Uh, it's not gonna. I mean, yeah. See, that's the only thing I could think of. It's like unless there's some medical thing from the injury that we don't know about yet. As far as my viewpoint I, I can't speak for him i can't speak for his family but just based on what i can think of this isn't a move that makes a lot of sense because two has been banged up each of the last two years right and if he comes back based on previous history there's a very good chance he's gonna get dinged up again now if it does happen you know hopefully it will not be anything as serious as the injury he suffered this year but it's just i don't know what he has to gain either with his career or his, you know, just general body by coming back and playing another year at Alabama, unless winning a national title is just something that is that important to him. And maybe it is. And if that's the case, and like maybe he promised that he wanted to win a national title and he wasn't going to leave until they did it, and he's going to do everything in his power to get it done, that's an honorable thing to do if that's the case. But it's still not... Sometimes you know he won you one. Put the honor aside. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. No, I'm. But maybe I'm. I'm thinking. You know, as a starter, he wants. Yeah, to win yeah. yeah. So title. if if I was uh, the Tugavaloa family's conciliere, I would absolutely be saying go. But mm-hmm. as this story has continued to progress, I've had to just sort of you know work my mind through the different reasons that might drive this and, and number 1 i think y'all are spot on there could be something from the medical angle where a doctor or a specialist has been able to inform them that you know because of this a team would flag that and Tua could you know work himself back to full health and then with playing next season be able to i don't know uh, overcome whatever lost draft stock he would have or or maybe even exceed it but the reasons that i think that if tua comes back and if i was to bet i'd probably bet that he's gone but if tua comes back i would think that this probably says more about him uh his family and because the whole family relocated to tuscaloosa his little brothers on the team like they're this would be not just you know some people go away to college and then that's that's you leaving your family well the family came with them, and so going pro is going to be the the sort of going away to college or stepping out on your own. And if in the midst of this injury and if in the midst of the disappointment of the way last season ended, if there is some sort of brain trust and a bunch of players around that program and they've all decided that they all want to come back and they're angry and 2020 is going to be the year that Bama's going to do it, you know, and I'm sure Nick Saban don't, you know, Nick, don't waste a loss. Saban is, is probably the proud of that leadership. If that ends up being the case, I, I could maybe see Tua based on the just sort of his personality. He he might like what's comfortable, and what's comfortable might be to to stick around in Tuscaloosa just a little bit longer with the the feeling in his mind and his uh, always calm, always positive outlook that the NFL will be there, but you only get one more chance to. You do this with your brothers. And again, this is just me trying to figure out why and when otherwise it seems to me that the sensible option is that you would just go pro. But I think that having his family in Tuscaloosa, having his little brother on the team and having these other Alabama players also deciding to come back for 2020 when they could be first round draft picks. I do think that if he decides to stay, I would probably point more to that than anything else. Maybe. But I mean, it's like he has... 
I mean, going to Alabama in the first place wasn't exactly like the easy decision, right? I mean, going from Hawaii to Alabama as opposed to USC or Oregon or oh yeah, sure. Um, so I, I'm I'm fascinated. Hey, I'm hooked. I'll be tuned in January sixth. Looking forward to the announcement on, uh, but on this, Ustream. The, but this whole this whole storyline of Alabama sort of looking collectively re-energized and a little ornery and feeling like all of a sudden Alabama gets to truly play an underdog card because of the way that Clemson and Ohio State and LSU have cycled up. Um, that is that is very fascinating. Uh, you know, who else is coming back? I don't know. I mean, it's... I can't. I mean, Judy's got to be gone. Henry, I, I got I have to imagine Henry Ruggs is gone. What if Najee Harris comes back? I could see that. I could see that too. I actually think we. we I was talking today with some guys twenty four seven. Like, who who is the best running back in the country next year? Who are the best two or three? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, there's not like. I know. Crap, I don't know. <laughs> I, know, uh, I, know, I, know I know I put you on the spot there a little bit, but... I mean, if Chuba comes back, maybe. He, but he's not. Chuba's gone. Did he Did he announce? Yeah, he... Yeah. Oh, my bad. I think. I'm, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure he announced. But there, there's there's a lot of good backs in this class. Oh, uh, JV and Hawkins. From Louisville. Yeah. The, I mean, but... Yeah, okay. There you go. <laughs> Like, is that is that like if if that's the best back return? I mean, I, I, I there's there's probably someone we're missing, but I'm just saying like Travis Etienne, Cam Akers, Hubbard, uh, Jonathan Taylor, um, J.K. Dobbins, J.K. Dobbins, uh, the the kid from Boston College, D.J. Verdell, A.J. Dillon, yeah, like A.J. Dillon. I mean, yeah, C.J. Verdell is, is who someone mentioned the other day. Like, the that's those that's just a different like if that. Najee Harris, I think, would be smart to stick around and go compete in the draft with that the, the next year's crew rather than mess around with this crap coming out where there's a bunch of them. Mm. Um, anything from the Michigan side of things? I, I will like go. Spoiler alert: I fell short on the does this loss have any long range meaning for Michigan though some of the stats including uh Michigan's inability to win the bowl games Harbaugh's uh bowl losses they certainly are stacking up in a way that doesn't look great but I'm uh I don't know did y'all are did y'all feel any strong feelings on the Michigan side of things from that result I mean I'm not gonna be like oh wow I'm really worried about Michigan it lost to Alabama same <laughs> you know what I mean yeah 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 absolutely yeah, from a storyline, from like a just like an intrigue standpoint, uh, and I feel like this is how a lot of media members think. But like, I would have been a lot more interested if Alabama had won by like thirty-five, or if Michigan had won. Like the Alabama squeezing out a cover with a backdoor touchdown, or you know, that that was not that interesting to me. That's about what I expected. Alabama wins by. And in fact, it wasn't what I expected. Michigan, in some ways, played better than I expected they would. Um, in the I first that, half, yeah, yeah, but I expect Alabama to win by a lot more than that. So this is this is just sort of a, a wash for me in terms of what I what I learned, what I took away from these two teams. I I was dis- I mean the only thing I would say as far as that game is I was disappointed because Shea Patterson I thought had played well at the end of the season and was playing you know better, and then I felt like he regressed a lot. And obviously he's playing against Alabama and that's got something to do with it. But I just thought that overall that was that was like an early season kind of last year as well as last year Shea Patterson type of performance. So yeah, I'm I'm with you. That was a little bit of a bummer. Coming mm-hmm. up on the other side. Dr. Kirby has identified a disease, Minnesota's future with P.J. Fleck, and what Matt Rule has in store. Plus, Barton looks ahead to this weekend's All-America game next. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, 
Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at newbalance.com. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. So the Minnesota win capped uh, a, a awesome season, like banner season for Minnesota football. And so as we start, PJ Fleck has, nope, he is committed to Minnesota right now. He has a new deal that he signed conveniently right before that Penn State game. And, uh, and, and now you get to sort of sit back and they get their flowers and they're so excited. But what do we do about the expectations moving forward? Because there's going to be a little bit of turnover, obviously, at some of the some of the most important players that were a part of this, not only this season, but last season and building to this point. Do you think that, and I guess I'll throw this to Tom first, do you think that the PJ Flex success at Minnesota is sustainable? And what is realistic to set for the expectations of that program moving forward? I think it I mean I don't know if Minnesota is going to be winning 10 11 games every year but I think that this is a program where Fleck has certainly raised the floor of of what Minnesota is just simply because you know they've the way he's been able to recruit and bring in talent and then develop that talent because I mean those there's a lot I don't remember the last time like this year and you saw it, it was very much evident going against Auburn. I don't remember the last time seeing a Minnesota roster with that much NFL talent. And there is a lot of it on that team. So yeah, I think that it's sustainable, maybe not to the degree that we've had, but I think it's very difficult to argue over what Fleck has shown an ability to do. And, you know, he took over at Western Michigan, led that program to the Cotton Bowl, then left for Minnesota. And in his third year there, he's got them playing on New Year's Day against Auburn in, you know, it's not a New Year's Six Bowl, but the Outback Bowl is still a bowl that you typically has a good SEC team and a good Big Ten team in it every year. And it's played on New Year's Day and not only playing in it, but beating Auburn, the Auburn team that, you know, gave LSU a threat, the Auburn team that beat Alabama. You went and you beat them and it wasn't fluky. You completely outplayed them for the most part. In fact, if you look at the box score with the surprises that the game was as close as it was. So, I mean, this is a Minnesota team that I think that if you look at the Big Ten West next year, obviously Wisconsin is there, but you would have to still think going into next year that Minnesota is the biggest threat to Wisconsin in the division than a bigger threat than Iowa, a bigger threat than, you know, obviously Nebraska, Illinois, Northwestern, Purdue. This is a program now that is, I think, heading in a very good direction. Now, whether it sustains it, I think he can, but we, we remain to be seen because, you know, Fleck didn't stick around at Western Michigan long enough, obviously, for very good reasons to show us that he could do it over the long haul. And it'll be interesting to see if Minnesota has another kind of, you know, 10 win season next year. Does Fleck stick around Minnesota? I think that, you know, that that's going to be the question more than anything. Yeah, it feels like he's that win as much as anything he's done to this point, beating a team as talented as Auburn is probably the feather in his hat that is most appealing to a USC fan, mm. you know, who's, mm-hmm. who's ready to move on from the Clay Helton era and has to be convinced that Flex a big time coach. And I think that that helps that that helps make PJ Fleck and all his, his slogans a little more palatable. But I think that's, I mean, that was, I mean, We've we talked about it some over the course of the year. I mean, they've done a really good job and uh, of of just creating a program, um, creating the just the discipline and the execution and all those sort of things that you have to have to be successful. But also, they've they've recruited well, they developed well, they have NFL guys in that team. And you mentioned it, Tom. I mean, they 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 and and I think even this this recruiting class and class of twenty twenty. It's not loaded with four stars, 
but it's it is actually really loaded with guys that are the type of three stars that look like they can become NFL draft picks. Um, and so I just think they I think they're good at that. And PJ Fleck can recruit. Um, he's got to be the, the PJ Fleck kind of guy, right. To resonate, but uh, but if he finds that kind of guy, he can do it. There is no reason that PJ Fleck cannot have Minnesota contending for Big Ten West titles. I don't know because PJ Fleck is such a part of it. If uh, Minnesota, if PJ Fleck were to leave, whether Minnesota would be able to sustain the level up that he's led history suggests no yeah but there would be some kind of drop off um late night late night on uh well actually thankfully the game had a whole lot of running of the dang ball so it moved pretty quickly but live blog in the sugar bowl oh boy <laughs> that was uh it was riveting stuff had a little cbs sports hq after the game did a little wrap up and uh, but but the real most interesting thing that could have happened at from in my opinion from the entire game was something aside from George Pickens was ridiculous and uh, I'm sure that people have seen the highlights and the stats from that but after the game Kirby Smart uh, who got a Gatorade shower in the face apparently also might have gotten some truth serum injected into him as he uh, as he decides to offer up a little bit of a critique on the Georgia program a program that he played for and has also coached against at a high level. And so uh, let's, let's take a listen, and then, uh, then I'd love to break it down. To be honest with you, the future is only bright if those guys continue to work because there's a disease in a, that creeps in at Georgia where kids believe they're better than they are, and they, they read their own press clippings. And uh, our team chaplain did a wonderful job today expressing that in a, a verse and I can't quote the verse Jake probably can but <laughs> you know he, he basically said that um, when you start reading about yourself and believing your own press clippings is when you start to fall and those kids that you just mentioned are tremendous players but they'll only be as good as they can be if they stay as hungry as they are and when you're not hungry you become average and uh, some of that I think has affected us in the past and we've got to find a way in this program to, to not let that creep in and keep that same hunger you have as a young player. Cause we've had it happen to several guys that were really hungry and then they become full and you can't become full when you go play in the teams we play against. Mm. Mm. Name names, Kirby. <laughs> I'm assuming that the, the question probably was about the future for George Pickens and Zamir white two freshmen that were you know leading rusher leading receiver in that game but uh what he described so elegantly as a disease sure seems to me like uh putting into words the getting four stars and five stars year after year after year uh winning showing up in the sec championship game like seven times since 2010 maybe um and yet, four out of the last five SEC championship games they've lost, and that when they go up against the very, very best of the best of the best, they have found themselves coming up short. So the Georgia football experience where you're just – you got better players than 10 teams on your schedule, and so you're going to be able to win those, that winning those extra two games has become the real challenge. Barton, do you ag agree with – uh, the way that Kirby Smart vocalized this situation for the Bulldogs program. Yeah, I mean, I've I, look. Kirby is not just sort of a coach that is just wants us folks out here in the public and in the media to get some good sound bites, and he's not a coach that just uh, you know likes to be transparent with the way he's thinking. He is a coach that is calculating and. Uh, I'm very intentional in his messaging. And while I actually, you know, I want to give him, I'm not, look, I, I think it was a, a telling you, quote. I think it is. A, you think he was just, tell, he was talking to his team. Yeah. He's I th talking to his team. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. But that doesn't mean it's not true. Right. That doesn't mean it, that doesn't mean it's, bull, it's, it's BS. It's, it's the same thing that, that probably has, should have been said at Texas a long time ago. And the Texas has struggled with in the past. Um, and Georgia struggled with it in a different way. Uh, and I think 
is or, or would be struggling with it in a different way right now because of how well they're recruiting. Um, I think I think what Kirby is dealing with, we've, we've touched on in the past on this podcast, is just sort of the, you know, how Kirby just, he's, he's recruiting um, five freaks. His goal is to get as many freaks on the roster as he can. And it's not, there's there's not any priority to have some fillers in there that 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 give you some depth uh, and be willing to just be locker room guys and just sort of roster building. It's just like let's character get the, culture let, guys. Let's get the freaks and we'll figure it out. And they've done that. And I think there's a challenge in that, which is keeping those guys from work, like to keep working hard, keeping those guys to not. Uh, to, if they get jumped on the depth chart, which is going to happen because you're recruiting other freaks, that they don't just mail it in and 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 quit on you um, when when someone passes them up on the depth chart. And so, like these, these are all challenges that I think he's he's dealing with and coming to grips with. And uh, I think he, but ultimately, I think that was a whoever whoever they were asking about, um, Zamir White or. Uh, George Pickens or whoever, that was a message to them saying, you ain't made it because you played one good game. I, I hope that Kirby shows that same kind of hunger when it comes to his offense. Hmm. Because I'll, I I don't doubt that there's, you know, what he's saying is true and there's a level of honesty to it that I appreciate while it's also a message to his team. But I think that, you know, there, there's a lot more to it than just guys reading press clippings. I think that one of the more things that was more you know, impressive to me about Georgia and the Sugar Bowl was that in the first half, at least, they kind of let Jake Fromm go, you know, they kind of loosened the reins a little bit, and he had a great first half, and George Pickens had a great game. And it's like, I'm just sitting there watching, like, man, why why weren't they letting Fromm do this all season long? And I think that, you know, as we've, we've talked about here a million times, I think that, yeah, maybe there is some of that kind of complacency problem within the locker room with some of the star players on that team that he's trying to you know address and get rid of but I also think that there's a complacency elsewhere and we've seen it at other programs and you know LSU clearly the bright and shining example of it now that sometimes you know you got to look in the mirror look at yourself and figure out what you're doing wrong or what changes you can make to improve it and I think that there is one glaring obvious portion of this team that they could try to improve yeah I think it's gonna be fascinating what they do at offensive coordinator, just on the offensive coaching staff, because I Kirby's thought, even said it in press conferences. Like, look, guys, we're trying to fix it. We know, like, you guys aren't telling me something I don't know. Like, I, I, I understand that our offense needs to be better. We're doing what we can. We're working on it every day, and so I'm very interested to see what that means in terms of of action steps in this off season. Yeah, because I mean, I'm, I, it's it's weird. I'm not a fan of Georgia, but I I get like frustrated watching this because think of how dominant they were in the first half of that game, right? Think of how dominant they were for the most part in the entire game. They still only scored 26 points, and right. in this day and age of you know offense, it's like for to, a team to be like I have one receiver with 12 catches, 175 yards, and still only score 26 points. It's like I feel like you have to try to score that few. Hey, I'll give Kirby credit. He called a good fake. You know, it looked like they were about to settle for their Yeah, it looked like they were about to settle for their third field goal. With you know, letting Baylor hang around. First red zone opportunity, field goal, second red zone opportunity, field goal. I think they scored a touchdown, then they were going back again. Yeah, twenty six points because they kicked four field goals and even even then it almost was five if not for the call for the fake. I'll I tell tell me if this is misplaced. But we did not have uh, Andrew Thomas, did not have Ben Cleveland, and did not have who was the third Georgia starter who sat out. Uh, they didn't have Cleveland. Isaiah Wilson. Oh, they didn't. Either, they didn't have yeah, Wilson. It, and right. Um, and Matt Luke, new offensive line coach, was there for the like on the sideline working, and I thought that Georgia's offensive line did all right. Bunch of backups. With the new head yeah, coach, they did all they right. Recruited really well at that position. Yeah, they got, that's that's a place that, amazingly enough, losing uh, three first, you know, first two day draft picks, um, they got a few few of those exact guys waiting in the wings. 
Yeah, it's funny because you, I kind of had that feeling going into the game where it's like, well, they're not going to have their, you know, these guys on the offensive line. And I was like, I don't know if that's going to be that big of a problem. <laughs> um, all right. What about the other side of the ball? We've got Matt Rule. Uh, we discussed the sort of the Matt Rule a little bit more in the mailbag. And definitely go back and, and listen to Monday's episode if you've not already to to get sort of his how his approach has changed now how his approach is different from a lot of coaches and why many around football are attracted to it. So the, the sugar bowl is over. Where do we think rule is coaching in 2020? Well, I saw a tweet as we're recording. He's currently in Mexico. So who knows what's going on there on vacation. He's he's on vacation. Yeah. He's on vacation. I was just making a joke. These coaches, I was going to say these, these coach interviews are getting, they're really throwing people off the scent. Yeah, heading all the way down to Mexico. I think he'll be in the NFL. Do you really? I think he will. I mean, I, that, that's nothing. There's no inside info there. I just think. I think he's back at Baylor. So do I. I just it's it's not that I don't think he has a desire to go to the NFL eventually. It's just I don't know of the available jobs. If he gets a job, if, if the Giants offer him the job, look, he's already. I think he's already said no. He's not interested in the Browns, and nor should he be. Mm-hmm. Like, why any college coach would leave to go to the Browns unless you just are desperate to be an NFL coach is crazy. Like, why? I mean, I guess if you're an NFL coach and you just know the lay of the land and you're going to, I mean, maybe you take that on, but Urban Meyer ain't going to the Browns. Lincoln Riley ain't going to the Browns. Like, that's not happening. Uh, and I think the same with Matt Rule. I guess that what I'm, what I, in a, in a roundabout way, is I I just can't imagine he wouldn't take the Giants if they offered him the job. And it feels like someone is going to offer him the job. And the Giants, I don't know who else is on their list, but I, I guess what I'm getting at is if the Giants offered him, I think, he's, I, I think he, he'd go. Well, not to become the pick six podcast, but the Giants' job right now, they have a GM who they very nearly fired last week who is like on the hot seat himself. So if, if you're going to leave Baylor for an NFL job, do you want to do it where you're going to be getting hired by a guy who might be fired in 12 months. We talked about this last pod though, didn't we? Like you're, if, if, if he's, if he might get fired and you get to hire the next GM with, with your ownership, then sounds like not a bad deal. I just, I just don't think the giants are that attractive of an option, but if he is like a, you know, giants fan and he has always wanted to coach giants and maybe it's a, well, let's, it's a draw. All right. So let's look at in the event that rule stays, has the work that he has done at Baylor. It's almost like the, the Minnesota fleck, but it's same, you know, different conference, but same kind of question is, is the work that's been done such that we should assume that Baylor is the second or third best team in the big 12 going into 2020. Yeah, I think so. I mean, cause that's still for the most part, that's a pretty young roster. Isn't it? You've well, they uh, what was the line that he had out there? 10 of our 11 starters on defense were part of the one in 11 season, okay? So it's their heart and sweat that have gotten them here. So I guess that means they were juniors. So maybe I don't know how many of them might go pro or whether they would come back, but yeah, I, I would say that there's uh, there's enough in place that. Like I'm not going to get fooled by Texas beating up on Utah and the rest of the Big 12 lost all their bowl Martin, games. What happened to your Utes? Uh they I gave them up. They're not my they're they <laughs> they ceased to be my Utes when they lost Oregon. So man. two bad uh, performances. Hey to man, that's the they, they didn't want to be there. They didn't care. They they when they missed out on the playoffs, they lost their motivation. So hey, it happens from time to time. Mm. Led me is that like something to strive for as a program to be good enough to you get to the point where you could just say I don't care about this bowl game? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a huge, huge moment for the Utah program. The letdown bowl. <laughs> they are now an upper tier program. Yeah, Kyle Whittingham has been winning all these bowl games. That, that, that's why now he's finally got to the point where you could have a letdown bowl game. Now he's made it. As a, as, a, as a coach he's, he's a made man now yeah. he's got his own conciliere <laughs> Utah's, Utah's at that SEC level where if you win the bowl game it means you're gonna you're gonna make a run at the playoff next year and if you lose it then uh, you didn't even care about it in the first place so you can't hold it against them Yeah, you know that's why Illinois lost the Red Box Bowl 
Yeah. That it is why. Either. It, it had nothing to do with uh with with Chase Garbers actually dicing up the Illinois defense. Uh, you know. Didn't have their three leading receivers. You know, they're missing their, their starting middle linebacker. You know, they just didn't want to be there. Just didn't want to be there. Uh, coming up this weekend, we mentioned it before the All-America game on NBC. Barton, you will be a part of it. What what are uh, what are you excited about? What are some of the big storylines going into the game? Uh, well, we've talked a lot in the past, I believe, about the quarterback situation with DJ Uyunglele going to Clemson. He's the number one quarterback in the country, number two quarterback in the country. Bryce Young going to Alabama. Um, you know, shocking. But those guys will be playing against each other, DJ even though they're both from Southern California, DJ's playing on the East, Bryce playing on the West. That's going to be a fun battle. But also C.J. Stroud, kid going to Ohio State. I think he is the next guy after Justin Fields. Um, and and so that that's going to be something to watch. Uh, one thing we talked about this week is um, sort of these traditional pipeline programs at certain positions. And... Clemson on the defensive line, Ohio State at wide receiver, Alabama at outside linebacker. Uh, those positional commits, signees at this game and this week of practice have been outstanding. Like Ooh. Brian Brzee, the number one player in the country, he's going to Clemson. He's a 300 pounder that is just, his, he's been totally dominant. Um, absolutely like, uh, you know, one of the better DN performances, D-line performances that we've seen out here. Uh, but right alongside him is an outside linebacker named Will Anderson going to Alabama. And he is, I think, an edge pass rusher that maybe Alabama has been missing the last couple of years. Um, ju- a little bit Tim Williams-ish. Yeah. Uh, just a – he's but, – but I think more complete of a player. Super physical. Uh, he is a – he's a – He's a monster. And then Ohio State, a wide receiver. I mean, they, they legitimately might have the three best wide receivers in the country committed, two of them in this game, and though they both got a little banged up the last couple of days, so I'm not sure if they'll play. But um, G. Scott, Julian Fleming, and Jackson Smith-Jigba are three guys that you will see playing next year with all these guys leaving Ohio State. Like th- that, that program is absolutely reloaded at that position. Here's one for me to ask you about. A little off the radar, but Chicago suburban kid. And I've I've heard lots of good things, so I want to know what you saw because I know you posted some videos with him in it. Peter Skaronsky, the yeah. Northwestern offensive lineman. Tell me, tell me what I'm gonna see. I I think he's awesome. Uh, we've yeah. been really high on him for a while and just hadn't seen him in person. We're anxious to get him here, and and he's I think he's he's as good of an interior offensive lineman as there is in this class, and he's going to Northwestern, uh, and he's he's physical he's athletic he's tough he's uh yeah he's 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 really good i think he plays center he can play guard he could play even though he's more in that six three plus range he's athletic enough to play tackle if northwestern wants to do that with him so yeah he's legit yeah he's like a basketball player too so he's, yeah he's I athletic he, i think he throws shot and i think he's like got got some nfl pedigree in there somewhere he's 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 got it all Straight from the burbs, ready to tear up Evanston. Here he comes. Yeah, I was actually, I mean, because I'd heard about him for the last couple of years from like people in the area. So when he committed to Northwestern, you know, as an Illinois fan, I was just kind of like, oh, d- damn it. <laughs> Chicago yeah, Chicago's one true football team. Um, well, make sure that you watch on Saturday. Barton will be there from San Antonio. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. And, and just keep it dialed to 24-7 Sports as they'll have you covered with all kinds of content from the event. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. We will be back next week with a fresh edition of the Mailbag. Go on to the Cover 3 College Football Podcast page. Leave us a five-star review. And in that, include your question for the mailbag. It will be added to the front of the pile. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you.
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.